Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. It's John 15, verses 1 to 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Please welcome the delightful David Stroud as he comes to speak to us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Elise. Elise has just finished being my EA. She's wonderfully supported me these last couple of years, so she obviously feels a freedom now to describe me in different ways. Thank you, Elise, very much. Um, I hope you've all had a good week. I have had a, an interesting week. It's actually been a week of conferences for me. So Monday and Tuesday, I was at the HTB Leadership Conference, uh, which means that I can report that the Royal Albert Hall was packed to the gunnels with worshipping people who follow Jesus Christ. It was an absolutely wonderful event, and it was streamed to Mexico City, um, South California, uh, and two or three other international locations, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and another, a number of other places as well. So I can report that spiritual renewal, which is important to us all. We think it's one of the keys to an abundant life, uh, a life full of all the good things that God gives, uh, that spiritual renewal is going on apace. It was two really uh, super days. One of the highlights was an American lawyer by the name of Brian Stevenson, who spoke on his involvement in the criminal justice system in the States. And uh, we have challenges in our criminal justice system. Uh, they really do have challenges. And he talked about how his involvement has led to 125 people who were facing the death sentence who've been reprieved as their sentences are looked at and it was decided they were either uh, unsound or that these guys were actually innocent. So if you happen to download any of the talks in, in the coming weeks, I would really encourage you to do that one. When I looked down at the Royal Albert Hall and saw everyone worshipping, I knew spiritual renewal was going on apace. 
hearing Brian Stevenson, I'm thinking, that is just the sort of thing the church should be doing. Social renewal was going on apace. And then having finished at the HDB leadership conference, I got on a plane and I went to New York to go to another conference. These are probably the only two conferences I will go to this year, but you know how the diary works sometimes. They just come at the same time. And I went to the Praxis conference in New <coughs> The Praxis Conference in New York, which is focused on cultural renewal. It's training entrepreneurs of all sorts, shapes and sizes to start businesses and other organizations that will do well as well as doing good. And ironically, the highlight, I think, or one of the highlights of that time, apart from seeing our good friend Andy Crouch, who's part of the Praxis team, was to meet a Londoner from Mitcham. It took me to go to New York to meet someone from Mitcham, and uh, his work in African prisons, which I'll tell you about, it really fits nicely uh, a little later in my sermon, so I'm going to save it. But uh, it was great to see uh, actually some incredible cultural renewal work going on. So I can report, we often say, what's important to us? Cultural, social, and spiritual renewal. That's what we want to give ourselves to for the sake of this city. So I can report that across the world and in different settings, the church is flourishing uh, doing those things. I want to start the sermon this morning uh, with something from my Twitter feed. Or uh, Here is a tweet that I came across some point over the last couple of weeks. And what I was caught by was not so much the picture. Thank you, Hawani, very much. Go back, Hawani, please. You were right. Back one more. Can you go back one more? It was the culture makers slide. <laughs> I went to Hawani before we started and said, before I get into my sermon, I want to mention this. Uh, just to say, Philip and I would absolutely love to have you join us. If, if you, through your uh, business or your workplace or your community that you're part of, want to really give yourself to culture and you'll come and join us. There's people joining us from all over the country and all sorts of different churches. It will be a fantastic 24 hours. I promise you, you'll love it. So come and join us if you can. Back to my Twitter feed. Here's what I read, and it was a picture and some words, but it was the words that actually struck me. And they said this, My parents have been married for 24 years. My mum is in the final stages of young-onset dementia, diagnosed five years ago at the age of 53. My dad cares for her full-time. She doesn't always remember his name, but she knows she is safe with him. If that's not true love, I don't know what is. And there's the picture. And I can tell, actually, by the sense in the room that you are moved by this just as I was moved by this. And I think for me what I was moved by, and I read some more. So this is Stan and Phyllis, and Stan gave up his job and got a new job from which he could work from home so he could care for Phyllis full-time. What I was struck by was the sacrifice and love that Stan demonstrates. I mean, it's one thing to love someone in the spotlight. It's another thing to love someone at home every day when it probably feels like you're alone in the world and there's no applause from anybody. It's easier to love someone if they love you back. But when some days they don't even know who you are, it's more challenging, isn't it? 
So I read their story, and I was very moved by it. And I remember thinking, I would love to think that character would develop in my life like it has in his. I trust I won't find myself in the same situation that he is. But nonetheless, I hope that if you met Stan, you would say there is something very beautiful about the way that man is living. And I think we'd all love it if we felt that other people at some point in our future said, wow, have you seen the way he or she lives? That's really beautiful. It's character. I was struck, and if you like, that's a very personal, invisible example, but one that could fall to any of us to work out. I was struck also at the leadership conference I was at at the first half of the week by John Maxwell. He's like, he is the leading leadership guru in the States. He speaks to thousands. His books go round the world. He's like the opposite, the antithesis of that example in a way. But do you know the advice that he gave to everyone if they wanted to be a leader? He said, ask yourself two questions at the beginning of every day. Firstly, how can I show the people I meet today love? Secondly, how can I add value to their lives? He said, if you want to be a leader, start out with those two questions every day. Live that way, you will be a leader. What was he really saying? He was saying character matters. Now, in the reading that we had today, Jesus took the picture of a vine and fruit. And he said that if we are connected to the vine, he said, I am the vine, we're the branches. He said, if you're connected to the vine, you will bear fruit. One of the things he's talking about is character. Now, what I liked about this was the promise inherent in it. If you abide, you will develop good character. I think that's good news. Your family and friends think that is particularly good news. That you would develop character, maybe character like Stan's, character like the sort that John Maxwell was exhorting us to. And interestingly, the vine, the analogy, the metaphor that Jesus picks, don't think lush French vineyard, think arid, desert-like conditions of the Middle East. In other words, Jesus is saying, regardless of your context, and whatever your current situation is like, and however hard it is, then if you will be connected to God's life, then you will bear fruit, and your character will be molded in very good ways. And that's one of the things that fruit is, but it's not the only thing. The other thing that fruit is, is contribution. It's making a contribution. Now, cue, if you like, for all sorts of amazing, world-changing stories that about 0.5 of 1% of the population ever do. No, I think all of us get to make a contribution. All of us get to make it. In your life, as it is right now. It was more than 25 years ago now that Philip and I decided to start a family. And we were actually out of the country at the time, and I remember Philip saying to me, I can only think of one person in the world, other than us, who I would want to have help, help us with our children. And she named a lovely lady in the church that we were leading and pastoring at the time who had raised her family already. I was like, great, one person. How's that going to work out? And to our amazement, when we got back to the UK, this lady, her name's Anne, she was actually one of the founding members of Christchurch London as well, and came to Philippa 
And she said, you know, whilst you were away, I was praying for you. And she said, I felt that on your return, I should say to you that if you're ever thinking of having a family, I'd really like to help you care for the children. So that was one of those days where, you know, that's like, God is alive. Of course, we were thrilled. But it led to, for Anne, day after day, for seven years, whilst we had children at home, five years maybe, lots of, for seven years, Anne came in every morning, Monday through Friday, and helped Philippa care for children. We had three under two at one point in time, because we had twins. It was busy. Philippa was, was grateful for the help, but not only was she grateful for the help, but I know that Philippa has said to me from time to time, Anne helped keep me sane during those years. She helped teach me things about being a mother and playing with my children. She was a great friend and provided a wonderful sense of company. And on occasions too, she was able to release me to do ministry, knowing my children were well cared for. Now, we experienced the fruit that Anne had by the contribution that she made. Because Anne is deeply ingrained in the vine, in the life of God. Now, the promise here is, if you are engaged in the vine, in the life of God, you will bear fruit. Your fruit could be character, will be character, and it will also be contribution. Let me just give you one other example of the contribution that happens as we get into the life of God. And often it's not the contribution we would expect. The man from Mitcham that I mentioned who I met in New York this week, his name is Alexander McLean. At 18, he is in Uganda where he is in a hospital there and comes across a very, very sick man lying on the floor uh, with no care being given to him. Uh, And when he approaches him and looks more carefully, he finds that he's lying in a pool of urine, that his skin is wasted uh, in the areas in which he's lying in that liquid. He goes to one of the nurses and he says, why is this guy being ignored? She said, he doesn't have a family, nobody knows his name. And we're waiting for him to die. You can imagine Alexander's heart was broken and he went from hospitals and found himself in prisons on the outside, if you know what I mean. He then came back to the UK. He trained as a lawyer. And over the last 10 years or so, he spent countless days, hours and days in Ugandan and Kenyan prisons. And he started training those in the prison as lawyers. And several years ago, he had his first inmate who graduated with a law degree from London University. The highest judge in Uganda invited this lady to join the judiciary. She said, no, I'd rather stay in prison. Because here I can start a law school and train others to be lawyers. And then we can start a law firm in order to... Uh, to advocate on behalf of many who are here who shouldn't be here. I've not got time to tell you about the legal system there and many of the flaws within it, but there is fruit all over the place. And incidentally, I've asked Alexander whether he'll come and speak at our Everything Conference this autumn. Uh, I'm hoping he'll say yes, he'll be an absolute uh, treat for us. But there is fruit all over the place. Now, I use those examples deliberately So I use the example of Anne 
who, or, or, I use the example of Stan, who is hidden privately, and John Maxwell, who's very public. I use the examples of Anne, who just came in and cared for our children every day for seven years, and Alexander. Because I want you to know that wherever you live your life, whether you live it in private or whether you live it in public, there is fruitfulness for you if you stay in the vine. If you stay in the life of God and draw from the life of God, the promise from this passage is that you will develop character and that you will develop contribution. And what I want to look at in the few minutes that we have is how, do, how does that happen? How do we develop character? Now, this is a really, really important subject because everyone realizes at the moment that there's a need for character in life and particularly in public leadership. The three men, or three of the men, with potential for the most power in the world because of nuclear weapons, Donald Trump, Putin, and King, Kim Jong-un. I mean, none of them, if you look back over years, you say character probably hasn't been too strong on the list. Is that fair? We feel insecure in this world right now because some of the most powerful are also some of those who portray most publicly weakness in terms of character. I'm not trying to have a shot at anyone. But nonetheless, power and weak character, you sort of feel. And we could go through all the scandals of the latest years with Me Too as the latest. But they've all revealed character weakness. So I'm reading a book this week by an Oxford professor who's talking about all the opportunities and challenges we face in the world right now. And towards the back of the book, towards the end of the book, he has this whole uh, section on virtue and character. So when I see it in the index, I skip ahead. Oh, that'll be interesting. Because he says the risks and challenges we face globally at this minute really require character. And then I read the section and he has nothing to say. He's like, I know we need it. But his only application is we must be transparent when we come to sharing data. <laughs> so this subject, the need for character, and Jesus' explanation here, really matters. I mean, it always matters, but it really matters right now. And I think everyone is interested. How do I develop what Jesus calls here fruit? How do I develop character and positive good contribution? And Jesus' answer is twofold. Firstly, he says, be in the vine. Draw from the life of God. Now, two questions for you. Firstly, do you know what it is to draw from the life of God? Is that something on your experience? Have you, exper have you done that? Have you, at any point, made a positive, deliberate, conscious, intentional decision to, if you like, draw into the vine to say, God, I want your life. I want to be available to you. I thank you for your love, your goodness, your forgiveness. I need that life. I submit my life to you. Have you done that? There is no single more important decision than you could possibly make during your life, your three score years and ten, or however long you prove to live, than that decision. And I want to encourage you not just to defer that, but make that 
the most important thing to work out in your life and to come to a point and make that decision. We'll have an opportunity this morning for anyone who wants to just say, yes, I need the life of God. I want to develop character. I want to contribute. I need God's life to do it. So the first thing Jesus says is you've got to be attached to the vine, to the life of God. The second thing, the second question, for those of you that would answer yes, is are you making the most of it? Are you drawing from that life? We're going to come back to that. It's one thing to say I'm attached. It's another thing to say I'm attached, but I'm rather dry and lifeless at this point in time. So the first thing Jesus says is be in the vine. The second thing he says is watch out because the way that I bring more life for all of us is through pruning. Now this is one of the biggest disappointments in life. If you go to business school, if you do an MBA, you will be told the task with any company you run is to get that graph going up and to the right. What that means is always growing in profit and numbers of employees and products. And the most successful companies in this world are lauded, yes, it's up and to the right. And suddenly you find actually life is not like that. And even individually, we're told, oh, you know, your job, just be more and more and more successful. I would say nobody's life is more and more successful. They may become more and more famous or something of that sort, but if you look underneath, all of us go through periods of fruitfulness and periods of pruning. And pruning, of course, is this idea. Think of a rose bush full of, you know, in full bloom in summer. And you look at it and you think, that looks fantastic. And then the reality is, but if it's to look fantastic next year, all of that growth has to be cut back in the autumn. It's not that it looks fantastic, let's leave it, and it will be even more fantastic next year. Rather, that's fantastic, so let's cut it all back. Now, what Jesus is saying here is your and my life work in exactly the same way. You may say, I'm in full bloom right now. I'm doing great. My life's really working. There's fruitfulness everywhere. Now, if so, I want to say to you, enjoy it. Love every moment of it. Because pruning is coming. For those of you that are aware of a sense of pruning, and we'll go through and look at some of the marks of what it looks like to be pruned in a moment. But for those of you that are knowing pruning at the moment, what I have to say to you is don't worry, it won't last forever. New fruitfulness is coming. Now, of course, this applies to us individually, but you know, it also applies to us as a church family. And this metaphor, actually, the vine, was one that Jesus draws from the Old Testament where it talks about the people of God. When he says, I'm the true vine, he's not just saying me individually, he's saying I am now the beginning of a whole new family. So it's actually a corporate metaphor. So actually for us too, as a family, we should be developing character together. So when people come in, they should say, these people love one another. Well, how do you know? You've only just come in. No, you can feel love. Can't you? We've all done that. You've gone into a place and you thought, this is different. You may even go into an extended family. You think, oh, wow. They love one another. It doesn't mean they're perfect. Doesn't mean they don't fight from time to time, but there's love. Now, from time to time, the Lord will prune this family 
so that there's more love here. Do you know the best thing for me about the, the venue that we were in last Sunday? We were not here last Sunday, bank holiday, and we couldn't get this venue, so we went down to the Crown Plaza, which is smaller. Do you know the best thing for me about it? It was that I got to meet so many people who I don't normally get to meet here. It's just, this is a big venue. It's easy to not bump into people. And I want to encourage us, we'll get to it, but I'm sort of slightly ahead of myself now. I want to encourage us to love one another, to do more and more, to be a family together. So this applies to us individually. It also applies to us as a family, as a service together. So what does pruning look like? Let me just share one other story from this week. And from the most, and for me, this was maybe the, the highlight of the week. On Tuesday morning, I heard a survivor of the Rwandan genocide. First name was Immaculate. 1994, a whole people wiped out. Immaculate spent three months hiding in a tiny lavatory along with six other women. When you actually looked at the space, you thought seven adults cannot get into that space. And she actually showed, well, two of us stood like this, then one of us sat like this, then another of us. It was literally like that. During those three months, they didn't shower once. It was, it was not safe. She said, we lived hour to hour fearing our death. She lost half her body weight during those three months. And she sat on the stage at the Royal Albert Hall, full of grace, and she talked about experiences of the life of God while she was in that bathroom and how it had led her to forgive those who had murdered the rest of her family and her people. And she now carries this extraordinary message of forgiveness. Now, there's so much that could be said about that and so many questions that are raised by such genocide. But if you'll forgive me just parking them for now and saying... She went through the most extraordinary pruning, but it has resulted in the most extraordinary fruit. I'm not saying, therefore, it's all okay or anything like that, but it's resulted in the most extraordinary fruit. What are the characteristics of pruning? How do you know if you are being pruned personally at the moment? Firstly, you may have lost something valuable to you, something you thought was essential to your survival. It could be a loved one, a job or something you considered essential to your success as a person. It may have been taken away in order that there may be more fruit. It may be that you no longer sense the life and presence of God in the way that you did. It's interesting that in verse 3 of this passage, Jesus is keen to say to the disciples, you are clean. In other words, pruning doesn't equal punishment. I'm not pruning you because I'm cross with you. I'm pruning you because I love you and I want to bring more growth. But the reality is that sometimes God does withdraw his hand. The mystics used to talk about it as the dark night of the soul. Times when I would pray and the ceiling felt like it was the only other presence in the room. Times when I would worship and I felt like I'm just singing the words. Times when I came to church and wondered whether it was worth it. The dark night of the soul. And there are times where we are taken through that sort of thing. 
and our hearts are tested and our motives examined and gold is formed in our lives as a result. Sometimes we lose something valuable. It's a sign of pruning. We no longer sense God's presence. It can be a sign of pruning. You feel that you cannot cope with your current circumstances. You feel out of your depth. Jesus promises, Paul writes, and he says, God will never put you in a situation beyond your ability to stand it. And so it takes us to God again. Sometimes we are humbled. I don't know whether you've ever experienced this. Through the revealing of a weakness, the making of a stupid mistake, or even the revealing publicly of a vulnerability or sin. I remember listening to a talk many years ago from one of the most successful Christian leaders in another part of the world on how God keeps us humble. And he said, you will always make stupid mistakes from time to time. It's one of those things. We are humbled. At times we're made to wait for something that is very important to us. And in this instant world, waiting is a characteristic that we are no longer familiar with. And God allows periods of waiting that we would be made beautiful. So what's the point? What's the point of pruning? Well, the point is fruit, but let me just make a few other comments. I want to come into land shortly because I want us to have time to linger over communion and draw on the life of God. The first point of pruning is to remember you cannot do all this by yourself. You cannot develop the character that you would like and you cannot develop the contribution that you would like just by yourself it's like this passage Jesus keeps trying to emphasize this no branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine you cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me now when things are going well it's very easy to think I know this is God but there is just a little bit about it which is me is this just my experience? You know, I know it's going well and I know this is God's grace. But it wouldn't be happening if it was somebody else. <laughs> you know, it's deceitful rubbish. It's rubbish. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, murmured quietly says the Lord. And so he teaches us then to learn to abide. And this is when we're lacking, when we're being pruned, the temptation is work harder, do more, try to contribute faster. No, it's what Jesus is saying here is, no, don't do that. That will come if you do the right things, which is abide. Draw into me. The idea seems to be we're thrown so close to God that we know what to ask for, which is why he keeps saying, ask anything of me and it will be answered. Because I'm learning to abide. I'm learning to pray. Pray. And next month, we've got a time for all the services to come together. 13th of June, put it in your diary. Knock out everything else. Apologize to others who you were scheduled to be with and pray with us that evening we start to understand what God is teaching us if you are going through a difficult time right now do you know the answer to this what is the main thing Jesus is trying to teach me 
What is the main thing God is wanting to teach me? You ask that question, most of the time, intuitively, you will know the answer immediately. We learn the lesson. And finally, we draw together. In the middle of this, on being pruned, cut back, we're told love one another. Love one another. And I want to encourage us to do just that, to love one another. And we're going to do a whole load of things over the summer to just make that easier for us all. Got a very special barbecue for everybody, summer barbecue. Sam and Nikki Kay have kindly said that we've got plenty of space. They'd love to host us on a Saturday afternoon. More details, all the details will come. But over the summer, we've also got lots of other things planned. Joe Wells is going to host a evening for the ladies, drinks and nibbles. We will have World Cup football. One of the England matches is straight after a Sunday service. Some of you will hate me for even mentioning this. Others of you will love me. That's what leadership's all about. But you will have an option, if you want, to join us to watch England win. Um, uh, So we'll do World Cup football. We've got an evening of drinks on the roof of the National Theatre. We've got a families afternoon at Hyde Park for everybody, but especially for those to bring uh, little children, a canal walk starting in Little Venice, uh, a... Uh, August of picnics by St Paul's after the service. In September, we're going to have a week where we cancel connect groups and we have a week of dinner parties. What is not to like about such things? So we're going to do a whole load of things during the summer in order to give us opportunities to take this seriously. We've given away lots of people. We've started lots of services from here. We're aware of loss. So what do we do? We draw in love one another, allow, uh, love one another, seek God. Maybe the band can come back, please. Seek God together and the life starts to come and then we will bear new fruit as a result. Can the band come back, please? So my encouragement to us all, my encouragement is firstly this, God's intention for each of us is that we develop character and that we, le- and that we develop contributive power that those two things will happen in our lives as we draw into the love of God, as we stay close to him, and as we allow him to prune us from time to time, taking things away that we would bear more fruit. Let's stand together, shall we? Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.